and welcome to Lace and Cupcakes, the Lifestyle Lolita fashion podcast where we discuss all kinds of things within the Lolita community as well as the fashion. You can subscribe to this show on iTunes along with all of your other favorite kinds of podcast platforms. And if you like the show today, please like and subscribe. Now on with the episode. So today we have with us Catherine Rose of RR Memorandum. So first off, would you like to inter- introduce yourself real quick? Um, so basically, I am a full-time old-school lifestyle Lolita, I guess. And I design for Rose Red Memorandum, which is my brand, which I just started in March, I think. May? maybe anyway in the spring and <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I'm also mum of one grumpy Sharpay and, uh, and and vocally autistic women <laughs> so you started your brand officially back in March I know you've been working on it for a lot longer than that yeah since but- November Yes. So, and I know it was nerve wracking getting it launched. So, but you met with such great reception. What is it like being like the most popular indie Lolita brand at this current point in time? Like what went through your head when you first sold out near instantly when you first launched? Oh, I don't know if I'm like the most popular, but selling out that quickly is somewhat concerning (laughs) it's a lot of pressure I guess um I've been learning to sew for 10 years now and I went to university and I got a degree and I got first in that degree so you'd think I'd be a little uh, at least a little bit good at this but you know um imposter syndrome does creep in quite a lot um and it mostly whenever I sell out, I'm thinking, oh, I've uh, I've disappointed so many people. Like so many people wanted things, and um, I did wasn't able to make enough. <laughs> so luckily, the next stage is to be able to make more stock by going through um, small scale factory production, and we'll be doing um uh pre-orders and hopefully larger sizes as well so really my goal is to include as many people as possible it's been my goal from the beginning to be able to represent a bit more of the lolita community and all its variety rather than just the uh modeling shots that you'll see in like glb's of like pale skin white and asian people who are quite skinny and um, unfortunately it's been uh, a bit hard to get some of that representation in because just as i started like covid started <laughs> and we all went into <laughs> lockdown so i'm the only model that i've got at the moment that is safe to have <laughs> um, in the coming months though as lockdown restrictions ease and we work out how to work more safely and they've been to be including some uh dark skin models uh plus size hopefully 
maybe a combination. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, and disabilities, like you never see a model in a wheelchair and that disappoints me because I've been using walking aids for a while now and uh, seeing that representation is important too, I reckon. Mm -hmm. I think it would really help a lot of people who are, have been considering EGL fashion but haven't seen anybody with walking aids. I know there's plenty of Lolitas who use utilize these tools, but they very seldom post them with that particular tool. Mm -hmm. um, and it's... You, you could, I've been in this fashion for 10 years now and the amount of like the variety of people that you see coming through is um, a lot more variety than you'll see in the photos mm -hmm. i i think a lot of it comes stems from people being afraid to post these sorts of like you know photos because people will slam on people for things like walking aids i've seen the secrets and it's depressing uh, yeah uh, <laughs> uh, oh gosh, I forgot now. I forgot what I was going to say. It's all good. Just pivot. ADHD life. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I I think a lot of us have some of that going mm -hmm. on. So how how did you get into EGL fashion, and what made you fall in love with old school specifically? Um, it's quite an interesting story. Uh, I was in year eight, so I was. 13 or it might have been 12 one of them and me and some friends at the time in high school uh, saw that there was a manga drawing workshop going on and it presented an opportunity to um, skip uh, skip class for a little while <laughs> so we were like okay we'll do this and we won't have to go to class for a little while and I think it was French or something so we we're quite eager to and the person hosting the workshop was Sonia Leon, uh, the manga artist from Sweatdrop, Sweatdrop Studios. I've been a big fan of her ever since, actually. And mm. she was wearing EGA the day that she was producing, uh, doing this workshop. Uh, Aristocrat fashion. And she had some pictures of people wearing Lolita in her presentation because she was she wears lotus even now after two kids which is quite impressive i think <laughs> um but she's been she's been wearing the later uh since the early days so that was my first exposure to later and being the at the time undiagnosed auty girl i i was <laughs> i went home and i furiously googled uh cosplay and lolita fashion and manga and various um weeby things i guess <clears throat> and uh we had a limited bandwidth at the time because this was 10 years ago now and i'd always run oh, yeah. <laughs> i'd always run over the bandwidth with my research and watching anime i really liked black butler when i was that age I was looking at these people who I considered just amazing and I was just coming out of my emo phase and of course like nearly every Lolita has had an emo phase I'm pretty sure. 
pretty much. <laughs> um, it does feel a lot like um, it was a very vocal community when it came to mental illness, but it was quite anti-recovery. So I was kind of trying to fit myself into this box where maybe I wasn't getting a little, getting any better with my depression or anything. And with Lolita, it presented this opportunity to stand for something a little bit more. Um, I was introduced to the feminist angle of it very early, and it seemed to represent who I was a lot, um, a lot more than any other thing that I'd known before, like any other hyper obsession I've ever had. And so I started making things out of bed sheets and lace that I found in the bargain bin at the local haberdashery. <coughs> and, uh, and it was awful at the beginning <laughs> because um, I only had £2.50 a week pocket money. Uh, in, in dollars, that's like maybe just over a dollar. <laughs> uh, of course, kids those days did have pocket money that was within that range. I started on 50p a week and then I worked at my dad's cafe and it earned me £2.50 a week instead. So obviously not brand money, especially seeing as at time you still needed to use a shopping service for various brands. There was even a shopping service oh, for yeah. Bodyline because Bodyline had horrible horribly high shipping service uh, shipping prices and it was just to do with hmm. group order um so i couldn't buy the liter i was making it and i was really learning as i went along so I was sewing all the way through high school and then i kept sewing and i got onto a b-tech um a level type thing for college um and that's the year that I met my com. Uh, I saw them walking down the street on their first meetup, and I was like, "Holy shit, there's other Lolitas here!" And I furiously pedaled down the hill and almost crashed into them. And that's how I met my com. <laughs> that's awesome. It's been eight. Been oh, that was twenty twelve. Wow. Uh, and ever since then, my style has changed like, periodically a lot from time to time, depending on the phase of my life, because that's what fashion is. It suit, You have to wear what suits you, but what suits you goes a lot beyond what you look like and what your size is. What suits mm -hmm. you is more to do with what phase of your life are you in right now? Uh, because there is no permanent state, state of self. Uh, anyway, that's the that's the rather drivelly tale of how I got into the later. <laughs> hey, nothing wrong with that. Everybody, like I, I find that pretty much everybody has a very different story, unless like someone got into it with a friend at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I personally yeah. find it really interesting how people get into it and find it and what it means to them. <laughs> Yeah, I met a few people who so, got into it with a friend. Mm -hmm. So 
with cats to completely pivot <laughs> and indulge the ADHD yeah. <laughs> uh, with, with cats being so popular in Lolita fashion, why did you choose a dog to be your brand's mascot? Now, I personally know about your dog and he's so cute, but go on into depth because I'm sure the listeners would love to hear he's it. He's currently lying right beside me. And he's when he lays on the floor, he looks like a pile of pancakes because of all his folds or a drop towel, depending. <laughs> um, I adopted Rolly or Rolo is his full name, I guess, but we call him Rolly or Rolly Boy. Um, mm -hmm. Rolo is a, a um, chocolate in England, by the way. I'm not sure if you have that in America, but it's got caramel inside. So it suits him because he's caramel covered colored. Anyway, adopted. Oh yes, I think I know. I think I know the candy. They're like a little round, mm. like kind of shaped like a gumdrop almost, <laughs> but they have caramel. Yeah, in I used them. to like them as I was a kid. Uh, so I adopted him two years ago, I believe, and he is a Sharpe, a bone mouth. Um, it's more common to see meat mouth Sharpes in the West. Uh, he was um, homeless and he was wandering the streets before he went to the shelter so we don't have that much background on him but he's somewhere between six and ten <laughs> um, to be fair I'm not sure so sure why he's the mascot of my brand other than he's like such a big part of my life like I live alone apart from with Rolo, so he's my roommate and I call him my fluffy wrinkle son. <laughs> um, he often poses in pictures with me but I won't make him pose in pictures with me so he only poses in the ones that he wants to and I guess that is part of my style as well because um, a lot of the pictures that I post with him in get a lot of good feedback on him as well and every so often I'll make him um, wear a cute little tie or something yeah. so <laughs> stylistically he's very interesting because he's got so many wrinkles and he's not like a meat mouse sharpe where he's very droopy he's kind of refined and uh, he's very soft looking <laughs> I, I think that really goes well with the Lolita aesthetic too because just he just pairs really well and that like the fact that he's in some of like the prints and stuff that you have on your site for sale mm. and everything is just like oh it's so cute well to be fair <laughs> that is an extra bonus for me because i get things with my dog on it <laughs> i do like things with dogs on like cups and uh, various home goods just with pictures of dogs on them but uh, finding um, merchandise with sharp A's on is actually quite difficult <laughs> mm -hmm. so for people who might not know how did you settle on the name rose red Me memorandum or rrm um <clears throat> so the biggest component is memorandum because the whole brand is marketed on the idea of nostalgia and remembering and Rose Road Memorandum was really born out of the hardest time in my life where I came off a uh, 
yeah, six year re abusive relationship where I was uh, uh, kind of being manipulated and suppressed. Like I couldn't really be myself for those those years. So I come out of this relationship and I start finding myself again and I look back to before then and after this it's like a long time to look back over and I look back to my childhood and I look back at what I aspired to be when I was like 14, 15 and this coincides with getting into old school Lolita which is also about nostalgia so nostalgia and being yourself your authentic self kind of smashes together into the core ideal of the brand so that's where memorandum comes from so about the remem remembering and marking memories um rose red uh, rose is my middle name and i was named after my great grandma so Oh, me too. <laughs> so it's a family name and it's my middle name. I don't really use my um, last name that, that much on the internet just for privacy reasons, but Rose is quite a convenient name because everybody knows how to pronounce it. <laughs> Unlike my real last name, which is very hard to pronounce. So one thing that I uh, noticed also uh, over the course of your posts and such is that we, we seem to have a lot of the same values, including your eye to sustainability and ethics. Uh, you, like when I first saw you, you were posting coordinates where you were making all of the clothes yourself. I even think I messaged you back then, like you should really consider selling some of these. These are gorgeous. And then that's how like you told me you were thinking of starting a brand and everything. Um, and you also have discussed how you're looking to make your clothes better for people and the planet. <laughs> While you haven't mentioned anything like set in stone, like no official announcements, if you're open to sharing what avenues you're looking into to make the materials line up with your values uh, or your, uh, our listeners, and I would definitely be very down to hear that. <laughs> to be fair, the only reason why I haven't made many public announcements about it is because uh, I don't want to say something and then uh do something completely different and then get, then confuse people but i do like to talk about it quite a lot and so uh, my sister's um boyfriend's dad poured me out of a particularly strong gmt uh, a couple of weeks ago and i ended up just driveling on about it for the whole evening <laughs> so um what making everything myself is really stressful like uh it is a, a sustainable production method to make everything myself obviously because the only person i'm exploiting is me <laughs> um, yeah however i feel like there is a lot of improvement to do with the material acquisition um and stress management so migrating everything to factory production has become evidently 
more and more necessary and I was planning on doing it at some point anyway but it's I'm kind of um, moving the timeline up, up a bit so it's happening sooner and more rapid than I was expecting. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very important to me that said factory would have uh, these um, sustainable ideals and be cruelty free as much as possible so they, they don't use real leather or anything. Uh, so I've been looking at this factory that I'd be able to go to in person and keep an eye on them, uh, which was <laughs> high on my list of things to check off. And <laughs> uh, looking at places that pay living wage. And then when it comes to uh, material, um, I've actually found this company in Wales that does uh, rain-fed organic cotton and I got some um, samples of them and they're really nice so I may be going with them. Uh, other than that looking into dead stock and recycled mostly uh, natural materials because uh, I'm personally uh, low waste uh, plastic free as much as possible being vegan and low waste is not the easiest thing in the world if you want to be buying like uh, meat replacements but it is quite necessarily necessary to be buying them anyway because it encourages companies to make more of them if you're voting with your with your money mm -hmm. yeah a bit of a tangent there um oh gosh so i would like to use uh natural materials so that if at any point they did come to their end the end of their life cycle they could just decompose so you could chuck them on the on the <laughs> on a compost heap if you wanted to uh, and i want to run on what i call the meta dress principle which is modeled after this one dress that I got in Closet Child in Shinjuku and it's uh, the Metamorphose Baby Doll Bouquet OP and I wear it mm -hmm. constantly because it's comfortable, you can style it in so many ways. It's one of the dresses that you can just chuck on, brush your hair out, put on some chunky shoes and you're good to go with a good 90s look <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. from 1999 and it's pretty uh, mint condition so the mm. meta dress principle is that it's got to be clothes that will last you a long time that suit you no matter what kind of mood you're in and um, no matter how many spoons you have uh, it's got to be wearable and comfortable even if your size changes that's where like um, fully sheared waistbands come into into play because I have lost and gained some weight in my lifetime, so I know how much uh, <laughs> yeah, not being able to fit your clothes anymore is distressing. So mm -hmm. I figure that by holding on to these principles, you, I will design clothes that will last a long time and thus don't. Um, have the necessity to be thrown away for at least 20 years <laughs> um, and 
the second-hand market being what it is with later fashion, uh, hopefully they can uh, service a lot of people in their life life cycles. <laughs> That's really awesome because I, mean, I know a lot of designers don't put that much thought into uh, the not only the end life of their garment, but also making sure that it lasts for such a long time and has such a timeless look and also really just adjusts with the body over time. I don't think many of these are going to pop up on the secondhand market with all that. <laughs> like Maybe in 10 years. <laughs> to be fair. Maybe. To be fair. <laughs> I'm um, part of this kind of younger generation of designers where in our um, training we've had in that university and such sustainability and the clothing life cycle has been a big part of that whereas um you see like older designers and they maybe have been trained in like the 90s or the early 2000s and um it wasn't really an issue that they were made aware of but uh, i've been trained to be intensely aware of these things and we're also possibly the well designers get more and more aware of social issues as as time goes on like the younger the younger you are the more aware you are probably that's why i have more um, i have quite a lot of faith for the next generation okay <laughs> um, so i'm the, the designers the young designers that i've networked with uh they talk about these things a lot they talk about uh extending the life cycle as much as possible they talk about um sustainable sourcing and uh being able to fit uh many different body types uh the dynamics of like how gender comes into play with design and i've networked and trained with so many different people who had so many different approaches to these issues and as you kind of just soak them up uh, you find your own way of dealing with it and for me finding one uh, piece of clothing that kind of encapsulates all these ideas that I had uh, was really um, quite a tangible way of expressing them I guess. Mm -hmm. And speaking of tangible ways of expressing them, oh, I got a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've mentioned got there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so you've mentioned wanting to open up a physical location in the future. With so many brick and mortar stores going bankrupt these days, even pre-COVID, why uh, would you share why it's still a goal for oh, you? Yes, it is about that tangibility. Uh, in 2012 again, I made what was known at the time as the pilgrimage. I went to Paris and went to the Baby the Starshine Bright shop, which is sadly no longer there. But um, yes, um, being able to touch the clothes and like see them up mm -hmm. close was probably one of the uh, like pivotal mo moments on my path as a lot of fashion designer and 
to be able to give those experiences to younger people is probably one of the bigger goals of mine. Uh, I want to be the kind of person that I needed when I was 14, um, this kind of lonely, undiagnosed autistic girl who thought she could never be a real Lolita because uh, she didn't have enough money. Um, I want to be there for younger people and I want to create this kind of inclusive community space. I'm in a city that is actually quite easy to get to but isn't really crowded like London. So the goal would be to make this community space uh, where um, Lolitas all over the country could come to, where young Lolitas could come to and maybe see garments or talk to uh, Lolitas that are there at the time. So the shop is not so much a commercial endeavour, which to be fair, um, running the brand or anything is never really quite a commercial endeavour because I'm not really, uh, I'm not exactly a capitalist. <laughs> um, it's not so much that as a community endeavour uh, where I'd like to be able to bring together people. Um, hoping, hopefully in the future uh, you saw uh, the collaboration with um, Lou Grace recently. I'm hoping. I can't say I have actually. I should probably get on well, that. Uh, it's the the um, the heart shaped pins with the crosses on them. And um, oh, that one! Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I'd like to be able to stock various different brands, not just things that I've designed, but things that um, maybe could be a European stockist for uh, my American brands so that maybe they could save on um, shipping worldwide and such. Uh, mm -hmm. Because I went to the Altelier Piero uh, shop in Lafare and I liked seeing the variety of brands that they had in there. So I'd like to be more of like a compilation brand, as I'd call it, and uh, sell various different styles and brands all in the same place. Um, so like a one-stop shop, essentially. Yes. And hopefully at some point be able to sell Gothic and Lolita rather than just Lolita. Uh, hold on to those original principles, I guess. Um, be a place where you can go if you're different, if you're uh, interested in Japanese fashion. And the main uh, obstacle I'd see in the way is like the popularity of Lita because um, it has been around for a long time, but um, yeah. Like it's still a niche and old school is a niche within a niche <laughs> uh, hopefully being able to stock various brands and stocking gothic as well as Lolita would uh, remedy that a little bit another idea that I had was to have uh, like in places that I'd visit in Tokyo have like a two-story shop and have a shop on one story and a cafe on another. That would probably be the ideal. <laughs> Obviously, mm -hmm. rent prices um, are a big 
factor in that. <laughs> um, my dad runs a restaurant, so I am somewhat interested in like the food service industry, and I'd love to create a, a Victorian lifestyle cafe at one point. Uh, that's that's really the the dream, and of course that would bring in people who maybe aren't interested in Lolita, but maybe they would be interested in Lolita afterwards. Who knows? It would also make a great spot for like meetups and such to be hosted. Oh, yes, that is like half the half the idea behind it. To be fair, <laughs> it'd be nice to have like a whole function room, but I'm not sure if I'd ever be able to get a place big enough. <laughs> maybe. Mm -hmm. Or you could even have like a, you know, reserved for like the shop part for when there are things like that and just kind of move the racks out of the mm. way or something. Who knows? And also, but, it'd be um, nice to have um, racks for magazines and books that people could just read uh, when they're there. Ooh, the little library. Yeah, like the baby shop in 2012 had a few magazines scattered around the place, but maybe having some seating for people who don't really have the spoons to be standing up the whole time and having some magazines yeah. and books to read, that would be that would be nice, I think. Mm -hmm. And a nice place for Lolitas to go and spend time at without being gawked mm -hmm. at. Yeah, away from... that would be a dream. <laughs> <laughs> away from prying eyes and with people who yeah. are friendly and like what you like, because it's so much easier speaking as an autistic woman uh, to talk to someone when um, they actually like what you want to talk about. <laughs> mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, on that note. I've run out of questions and I'm sure we both have things we need to get doing. So would you like to share with our listeners how to get in contact with you, how to find the shop and all that sort of stuff? Yeah. Um, so we have socials on Facebook and Instagram uh, on both. It's our, our memorandum uh, on Instagram. I think there's dashes rather than dots. Uh, or you can go straight to the web shop which has links to all the socials and uh, if you sign up to the email uh, emailing list you will get updates on what's happening next um, I do like to send out updates and I recently brought on a blog writer so expect to see a lot more uh, <laughs> blogs coming up soon because I'm very bad at writing blogs but um, Lucy who writes the blogs is very good at writing blogs so that's good so, <laughs> so yeah, I read the most recent post and it was phenomenal yeah, she did a real good job uh, so the shop is r slash r dash r dash memorandum.co.uk and you'll find links to everything there and they'll also be in the show notes for anyone who has a hard time you know i know there's multiple kinds of dashes yes. and stuff, so we'll make sure that's in the show notes for ease of our listeners <laughs> and yes um is there anything else you want to tell our listeners before we uh disconnect mm. uh be yourself i guess <laughs> not a thing wrong with that all right well thank you so much for being on i really appreciate it and it was lovely chatting Hi, with you it's nice chatting with you too <laughs> all right take care
Thank you for listening to Lace and Cupcakes. If you enjoyed today's episode, I would love it if you would rate and review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. If you'd like to get in touch, you can find the show on Instagram at Lace and Cupcakes Pod and on Facebook at Lace and Cupcakes Podcast. See you next time.